Welcome to NTD Evening News. Our top story tonight, the president's brother questioned on Capitol Hill. James Biden's testimony is part of the impeachment inquiry against Joe Biden. Luis Martinez takes us to Capitol Hill. Over a billion dollars wiped out in student loans. What President Biden's latest move means for students and taxpayers. Iris Tao at the White House. A Boeing top executive has been removed. This as safety concerns loom over a terrifying mid-air incident in January. Texas is suing an NGO. The state's attorney general accusing the group of involvement in human smuggling, harboring illegal immigrants and more. Arian Pazdar reports. Former President Trump is facing a mountain of debt. Attorney General Letitia James says if he doesn't pay his fraud fine, she'll take his assets. But a Trump attorney says he's got the cash. Our legal correspondent has the latest. Israeli forces unleash a series of strikes throughout the Gaza Strip. An Israeli official provides new details of how they will battle Hamas in its final stronghold. Jason Perry reports. This is NTD Evening News. Live from our NTD Global Headquarters in New York City. Here is Tiffany Meyer. Good evening and thank you for joining us tonight. James Biden, President Biden's younger brother, gave his testimony to Congress today as part of the House-led impeachment inquiry. Here's our Washington correspondent Louise Martinez with more on this story. It's a big day for the House-led impeachment inquiry against President Joe Biden. Around 10.30 a.m. this morning, in this building right behind me, the O'Neill office building, uh, the president's brother, James Biden, entered to be interviewed by House Oversight Committee members. Congressman Jamie Raskin, the Democratic-ranking member of the House Oversight Committee, alleged that the impeachment inquiry no longer had credible evidence against the Biden family. Now we know that Russian intelligence operatives were behind creating the propaganda and disinformation at the very foundation of this investigation. So I think it's time for uh, Chairman Comer and the Republicans to fold up the circus tent and we should get back to work for the American people. Raskin argued that the indictment of the FBI informant Alexander Smirnov proves all bribery allegations against the Biden family are false. Republican Congressman Matt Gates and William Timmons thought otherwise. Today we're asking questions to James Biden, and I don't think that's really Burisma focused. That's more China focused. So we're going to ask him about some of his business relationships with the Chinese. You know, I think it's interesting that the FBI didn't investigate the allegations made years ago, and now they've indicted the confidential source that they trusted for years and made uh, paid him hundreds of thousands of dollars. So you know, it's. There's a lot of questions I have regarding that. James Biden was questioned over payments made to his brother, President Biden, for a total of $240,000 in between 2017 and 2018. According to the White House, the transactions were a loan repayment. A week from today, Wednesday, February the 28th, Hunter Biden, the president's son, is expected to testify in this impeachment probe. He will testify in front of House Oversight and House Judiciary Committee members. Reporting from Washington, D.C., Luis Eduardo Martinez, NTD News. The president wiping out another $1.2 billion in student debt as he appeals to young voters. But Republicans say it's forcing taxpayers to foot the bill. NTD's White House correspondent Iris Tao has more. 
The White House announced on Wednesday that it's canceling another $1.2 billion in student debt for over 150,000 borrowers. There are people who borrowed less than $12,000 to begin with and have been paying back their loans for at least 10 years. And President Biden, who's on a fundraising trip to California, says it will provide some breathing room to these Americans. When people in the student debt, are re student debt relief, they buy homes. They start businesses, they contribute, they engage in the community in ways they weren't able to before. It actually grows the economy. The new announcement comes as Biden's trying to appeal to younger voters. It's also the latest move in administration's piecemeal strategy to cancel student debt after the Supreme Court last year struck down an even more sprawling and expensive plan. To date, Biden's wiped out over $130 billion in student debt for about 4 million borrowers. But Republicans have been criticizing Biden's strategy and saying it's not actually helping to improve most Americans' lives. Watch. In the last three years, the Biden administration's Department of Education has put considerable time and resources to prioritize their student loan schemes. But they've been unable to fulfill their basic responsibility mandated by Congress and essential to American families. Republican Senator Joni Ernst on Wednesday accused Biden of enacting socialist schemes, adding that taxpayers shouldn't have to foot the bill for a billion-dollar student loan bailout. And Congressman Matt Rosendell called it a slap in the face to responsible Americans who pay back their loans. The White House, meanwhile, is vowing to cancel even more student debt, adding that it's going to leave no stone unturned to find ways to do it. Reporting from the White House, Iris Tao, NTD News. Switching gears to aviation, Boeing has ousted executive Ed Clark, the head of its 737 jetliner program, after a number of safety-related incidents, most recently the one in January when an emergency door plug blew off mid-air over Oregon. Despite being the company's best-selling plane, the 737 model is no stranger to safety and quality issues. It all started in 2019 when two crashes killed more than 300 people. The Federal Aviation Administration had grounded it for 20 months. And following the recent mid-air blowout, preliminary findings by the National Transportation Safety Board stated that the door panel was missing four bolts when it left the factory. Ed Clark has been with Boeing for 18 years. His departure comes as the company announced a leadership reshuffle in its commercial airlines unit. The Biden administration now reportedly considering new measures to tackle the immigration crisis. This as Texas is suing an NGO allegedly involved in human smuggling. The Biden administration is reportedly considering measures to have fewer asylum seekers entering the country. NBC News published a report on Wednesday citing three U.S. officials. The actions could include having asylum officers use tougher standards in their credible fear interviews. That's the first screening an asylum seeker has. ICE could also implement a last-in-first-out policy that would allow ICE to deport recently arrived immigrants first who didn't qualify under the tougher criteria. Meanwhile, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton is trying to revoke an NGO's license to operate in Texas. He alleges that NGOs funded with taxpayer money from the Biden administration facilitate astonishing horrors, including human smuggling. Paxton is suing a Catholic group called Annunciation House. The group's website states that it provides support to immigrants. 
but Paxton's office says the group is involved in facilitating illegal entry to the United States, alien harboring, human smuggling, and operating a stash house. Just last week, Governor Greg Abbott announced plans to build a military base camp in Eagle Pass. That allows the Texas National Guard to increase and to improve operations in this area. What you see now is the first stage of construction has already begun. And lastly, the New York Post is reporting details of the $53 million debit card program for immigrants the city launched last month. City officials told the outlet that a family of four would receive around $15,000 per year. NTD could not independently verify those claims. Former President Trump has to pay a lot of money. Based on the New York fraud case ruling, Trump has to pay approximately $87,500 in interest per day. And if he can't pay the $355 million fine plus interest, Attorney General Letitia James says she'll take his buildings. Can't Trump pay it? NTD's legal correspondent Arlene Richards has more. Judge Arthur Angoran means business and he's determined to combat business fraud in New York. The judge ordered former President Trump to pay for what Angoran calls ill-gotten gains. Angoran ordered Trump to pay a $355 million fine plus $100 million in prejudgment interest. Trump is also on the hook for another $87,500 per day in interest. And he will continue to accrue interest on the fine during the lengthy appeal process unless he deposits the full amount of the fine into an escrow account. And if he says he can't pay, Attorney General Letitia James told ABC News she has a way to make him pay. If he does not have funds uh, to pay off the judgment, uh, then we will seek uh, you know, judgment enforcement mechanisms in court, and we will ask the judge to seize his assets. She said those assets include his namesake buildings. Judge Angoran backtracked on his September decision to dissolve Trump's businesses for now. He says he may reconsider it if he receives a recommendation from a court-appointed compliance director. Can Trump pay his fine plus interest? One of his attorneys, Alina Haba, told Fox News he can. They know by looking at his statements of financial condition that this guy is worth a lot of money, billions and billions of billions of dollars, and that didn't even include his brand, Martha. She said Trump happens to have a lot of cash. Where is the cash coming from? The day before Angoran's fiery decision, the Securities and Exchange Commission approved Trump's truth social platform for public trading. Since the Iowa caucus, stock in the platform jumped from $17 per share to $48, making Trump's personal stake in the company around $3.8 billion. If the former president gets access to the money, which may not be easy, he can easily pay his fines. Arlene Richards, NTD News. Former President Trump confirming several possible running mates for his 2024 White House bid. Trump explained what he's looking for in a possible VP pick during a Fox News town hall last night. Well, always the first quality has to be somebody that you think will be a good president, because if something should happen, you have to have somebody that's going to be a great president. The one thing that always surprises me is that the VP choice has absolutely no impact. It's whoever the president is. It Trump confirmed that he is considering various people, including biotech entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, Senator Tim Scott, 
former Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard and South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem. Trump also made clear that he won't pick former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley. In the past, there had been speculation that Trump might choose Haley as a running mate, but he explained that he's not considering that. With the South Carolina Republican primary coming up this weekend, NTD News will be covering all the action. We'll have a lot prepared for you, including special guests on the ground coverage and the data hub. Join Steve Lance and myself on The Nation Decides 2024 live this Saturday, February 24th at 6 p.m. Eastern. Israel Defense Forces reported striking several targets throughout the Gaza Strip in the last 24 hours. And the fighting may soon spread to the south. An Israeli official gave new details of Israel's plan to battle Hamas in the crowded city of Rafah. NTD's Jason Perry has the details and a warning this report contains images some viewers may find disturbing. On Wednesday, Israel Defense Forces released footage that shows them striking several terrorists in the northern Gaza Strip, including this terrorist who was hit as he was charging towards Israeli troops. And another was struck after he reportedly fired mortars into Israel, which landed in an open area. No injuries were reported. And in central Gaza, residents in Deir al-Bala gathered around what was left of a vehicle that had been hit by an apparent Israeli airstrike. I was at the tire repair shop and we were surprised by this car that was close by. They hit it with a rocket from a drone, then they hit it again. They struck it twice. And in southern Gaza, residents in Rafah gathered around another car that had been hit by an apparent Israeli airstrike. And in another part of Rafah, residents rummaged through the remains of a house that was hit by an overnight strike. There is no safe place in Rafah. People are being displaced to Rafah. Everyone around us and our neighbors are displaced, but there's no safe place in Rafah. Rafah is now home to over one million people, many of whom have been displaced from central and northern Gaza and are now living in tents in this southern Gaza city. Israel says Rafah is the final stronghold for Hamas terrorists, and the IDF is planning to conduct military operations in the crowded city in a few weeks during Ramadan. That's if Hamas does not release the hostages before the Islamic month of fasting. On Wednesday, Israeli War Cabinet Minister Benny Gantz gave an update on the latest hostage negotiations. There are promising early signs of possible progress. We will not stop looking for a way and we will not miss any opportunity to bring our girls and boys home. He also said that Israel would evacuate the population from Rafah before conducting military operations there. And he added this. The importance of clearing Rafah lies in the ability to hit Hamas forces operating there and in the need to demilitarize the Gaza Strip. And across Israel's northeastern border, state-run media in Syria said an Israeli airstrike hit a residential building in Damascus, killing two people. Israel has previously reported striking Hezbollah targets in Syria, but the Israeli military did not immediately comment on this strike. Jason Perry, NTD News. Coming up, Biden signs an executive order taking on Chinese cranes. These cranes gather data on America's economy, likely giving it to China. 
President Biden's latest attempt to cancel federal student loans. Our guest says Biden is trying to buy votes with this latest move. Hear his reactions to the plan. And frozen embryos are now considered children in Alabama. That's after the state Supreme Court ruled they have the same legal rights as unborn children. But the move is facing pushback. More in just a moment when we come back. Welcome back. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Some breaking news. Florida lawmakers approved the release of Jeffrey Epstein's grand jury documents. The documents come from a Florida grand jury investigation in 2006. Epstein served a year in custody as part of the investigation. The Florida Senate and the Florida House passed the bill unanimously. Governor Ron DeSantis said he will sign the bill into law. The governor wrote on X, quote, all files related to Jeffrey Epstein's criminal activity should be made public. Once DeSantis signs the bill, it would take effect July 1st. President Biden signs an executive order tackling the Chinese spy crane problem. 80% of the cranes in American ports were made in China, posing significant national security threats. NTD's Virginia Gibson has more. President Biden is taking on Chinese spy cranes by signing an executive order investing $20 billion into U.S. port infrastructure, helping to build these cranes in the U.S. The executive order today on ship-to-shore cranes is uh, terrific. Um, there are some industries that we just shouldn't outsource. William Doyle is a former commissioner at the Federal Maritime Commission, the agency that regulates America's international ocean travel. He says America built the first ship-to-shore cranes in the late 1950s, but now 80% of America's cranes are from China. They're all based on uh, digitalization. They plug into the grid. And we should be manufacturing that from a national security standpoint in the United States because that goes right into our port infrastructure and into our um, supply chain. Experts say these cranes are dense with cameras and sensors. By reading the crane's data feed, people would know what's in every single container, what it weighs, and where it's going. If you take data that's coming off these EPMC cranes, what you then begin to be able to do is really quantify the, the health of the entire economy of the United States by knowing what we're truly shipping and what we're not shipping, what we're importing and not importing. Supply chain expert Ross Kennedy says China could use this data to disrupt U.S. shipping. They might even be able to control the cranes themselves. They can choose on a container by container basis what they will and will not load. And so if we're mobilizing for war out of the port of Baltimore and ZPMC cranes are what's being used to do this, the cranes have the ability to be remotely kill switched. Kennedy says the U.S. has so many Chinese cranes because they were far cheaper than the alternatives. He believes subsidizing the ports is the correct approach. Virginia Gibson, NTD News. Joining us now to discuss President Biden's latest plan to cancel student loans is Bart McCoy. He's a former Department of Energy official and a former presidential campaign policy advisor. Bart Marcois, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Thanks, Tiffany. Always nice to be here. 
Now, the Biden administration has wiped out $1.2 billion in federal student loan for 153,000 borrowers. Now, this was without Congress, which the Supreme Court has ruled in the past is unconstitutional. What do you make of this move and how did this even happen without congressional approval? Oh, this is just an example. It, it strikes at the very foundation that our country is built on. We, we embarked on this great experiment in the, in the course of history that, that people could govern themselves and not depend on a divinely appointed king to govern them. The king was the source of all law and the source of all state power. In, in our country, we're a country built on the rule of law rather than the rule of a king. And this is striking at the root of that rule of law. The law says you need congressional authorization to do this sort of thing. And Biden keeps trying and trying and trying to do this through executive power. He tried it through an executive order. It was struck down. He tried a different executive order. It was struck down. Now he's trying to do it through, the, through just an order from the education secretary. It will eventually be struck down. But all he cares about is that he sent out letters to millions of young voters saying, hey, you don't have to repay your student loans. There are 153,000 that don't have to pay back any, but there are millions that are being told, your payment is greatly reduced, and next year it'll be reduced by even more and more and more. All it's doing, he's trying to buy votes. It's illegal. He's stealing money from you, from me, from everybody watching this that pays taxes. He's stealing our money to pay people to vote against our interest so he can steal more of our money and pay more of those people. Expanding on that last part, some are noting that given this is an election year, this move is to broaden President Biden's appeal. How successful do you think that tactic is? I, I think it might motivate people, young people, to turn out and vote who already like him. But I don't think it's going to win him any new converts. I think for every new person he wins, Everyone who says, all right, I don't have to pay my student loans. The people who aren't paying their student loans are people who aren't really responsible in their lives otherwise, generally speaking. There are cases where there is genuine hardship, uh, but there aren't millions of those cases. Most of the people who took out student loans paid them back. I'll give you a personal example. I took out student loans. I came from a poor family. I couldn't have gone to college without student loans. I had to stop and work even with student loans. I had to stop and work from time to time when I ran out of money. I was 28 when I finally got my bachelor's degree. I went to Yemen to make sure I could pay my student loans back. I was with the State Department and we got a 10% bonus for speaking Arabic there. We got a 25% bonus for it being a hardship country. You know. I made more money, I made enough money in Yemen so that I could pay off my student loans after only five years, instead of stretching it out to what was then the term, a 10-year term. Um, it was worth it because I paid off an obligation that was assumed and guaranteed by taxpayers, by my family and friends, by everybody. It was an honor to pay that back. I was glad to have had the education. For everyone out there who's taking this money from Biden, there are three people like me, probably like you, like other people who are saying, hey, wait a minute, I paid back my loans. 
I'm not voting for this, and I think he'll lose as many votes from this as he gains. On that note, the Education Department has said that $138 billion in federal loan debt has been wiped out. That's for more than 3.9 million borrowers. Now, some are suggesting that that is going to hurt the working class or blue-collar workers who now have to take up that and pay off those debts. How do you read the broader implications of this move by the Biden administration? Could this actually backfire? I think it will, especially in those states that will determine the outcome of a presidential election, um, uh, the, the so-called swing states. Most of them are what we used to call the industrial states, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota. These are places where blue-collar workers form the majority of the voters. Well, blue-collar workers didn't go to college. They didn't get student loans. They didn't take four or five or six years um, screwing around, taking drugs, going to parties and scraping out the B minus so that they could, you know, go and do it another year. While they were all, while the college kids were off doing that, these blue collar workers went straight into working in a machine shop or for a welder or in a, in a, um, in a as a barista or some kind of work that didn't require a college degree. And they are the ones paying their taxes. And that's, what did you say, $138 billion? Yeah. Th that's $138 billion out of the pockets of lower middle class workers, employees, that didn't go to college to pay for some rich, spoiled brat to go to Harvard and get a master's degree in puppetry. How is that fair? That is what we are seeing reports on. Bart McCoys, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for asking. It's always a pleasure. Alabama's largest hospital has paused all in vitro fertilization treatment. This after the state's Supreme Court ruled on Friday that frozen embryos can be considered children, that they have the same legal rights as unborn children. But the ruling sparked controversy as some believe it could impact fertility treatment in the state. NTD's Dave Martin has the story. In the majority 7-2 ruling, Justice J. Mitchell wrote, unborn children are children without exception based on developmental stage, physical location, or any other ancillary characteristics. The decision was issued in response to wrongful death suits brought against a fertility clinic in Mobile in 2021. It was after a patient broke into a freezer containing embryos and dropped a number of trays. The ruling allows three couples to sue the facility for wrongful death. Some critics say it could have sweeping implications. Dr. Paula Amato, president of the American Society for Reproductive Medicine, said the ruling will discourage healthcare providers from providing fertility treatments if those treatments may lead to civil or criminal charges. This is Dave Martin for NTD News. Coming up, James Biden said President Biden was not involved in his business dealings. Our guess is the evidence contradicts that. Hear more from him. And the Democratic Party divided over the Israel-Hamas war. The Progressive Caucus losing the second member since the start of the war after publicly denouncing the group on their condemnation of Israel. That's coming up. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. 
The Biden administration announced it will cancel $1.2 billion in federal student loans for about 153,000 borrowers. This is President Biden's second attempt at large-scale student loan cancellation after the Supreme Court overturned his initial plan last summer. Boeing removed executive Ed Clark, the head of its 737 MAX passenger jet program. This is after a number of safety-related incidents. The company announced a leadership reshuffle in its commercial airlines unit. A report said the Biden administration is considering measures to have fewer asylum seekers enter the country. The actions could include tougher screening and faster deportation of unqualified applicants. President Biden's brother, James Biden, testified in a closed-door deposition before Congress. He told House impeachment investigators that the president was not involved in his business dealings. Joining us now to discuss James Biden's testimony in Congress today, we have David Gelman. He's a criminal defense attorney and former federal prosecutor. David Gelman, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Thanks for having me. Now, President Biden's brother, James Biden, is on Capitol Hill today for a closed-door interview with House Republicans. Now, in a lengthy opening statement, James Biden said that Joe Biden had no role in any of the business dealings that are now under scrutiny. Now, what does this mean in terms of the impeachment inquiry launched by the House Republicans? Well, uh, you know, it's funny you say that. Uh, James Biden can say all he wants about his brother, the president. However, uh, the evidence against the president pretty much contradicts everything that James Biden has said. Uh, I think what is being said in closed doors is pretty much going to go against, or it's going to just show that James Biden is trying to protect his brother and it's being very untruthful. Uh, you know, there is this big check that was made from James Biden's account, from his personal account, mind you, for $200,000, that was a loan repayment to Joe Biden, who, by the way, has been a civil servant for his whole life. So, you know, he wasn't a businessman or anything like that who made millions and millions of dollars, supposedly. And uh, that is something that's going to be questioned, I would assume, repeatedly un in closed doors. Now, I want you to understand that that check that was made to Joe Biden today was on the same exact day that James Biden got a loan from a healthcare healthcare company out of China. All right, uh, or, I'm sorry, not out of China, but a healthcare company where he said that, oh, my brother's or my name carries a lot of weight, and I think that the Biden name or the Biden brand may be able to help get us business in the Middle East. So, you know, that's, uh, I think Joe Biden may or may not, or I think he may have something to do with this. Now, Congressman Jamie Raskin, who's the top Democrat on the House Oversight and Accountability Committee, told reporters today that, quote, it feels to me as if everyone knows the impeachment investigation is over, adding there's a quality of just going through the motions here. What is next for the House Republicans in their impeachment inquiry into President Biden? Well, I would expect nothing less from the congressman from Maryland to say that. He should be saying that, really. Uh, the inquiry, I do not believe, is over. In fact, it's you know keep it's rolling and it's going to progress. Um, I think after the after the James Biden 
interview, a closed door interview today, what's probably going to happen is they're going to have more interviews from individuals. I'm still very curious where the Hunter Biden uh, subpoenas are going to be going and where that all happens. Now, David, this comes as a former FBI informant has been charged with lying about the Biden's dealings in Ukraine. Is this a win for Biden, or how do you read that development? Well, it definitely is somewhat of a win for Joe Biden. However, I wouldn't look too much into it. Number one, this is an informant who has been said to have been incredibly reliable in the past. He's been used for convictions for I think about at least half a dozen over the last uh, four or five years. So he's somebody that the government has relied on repeatedly. Um, the information that he's given the government so far on the Bidens has been, from what I've been reading, very credible. Now, again, informants, for the most part, are to be believed. Now, they have you know, these scars, if you will. So they're not going to be totally believable. And the government knows that. Not every informant is not going to be 100% believable. So you have to take it all with a grain of salt, especially with this individual. But if you look at the totality of the circumstances with this informant, he's been pretty good. So I don't want to say that this is the end-all, be-all, especially for Joe Biden, because he has a lot of other in, individuals who have been sent, who have information against him, and there's other documents against him. So you're just talking about one little cog against Joe Biden. So I wouldn't put, you know, just one little one informant saying, oh well, you know, now that he's charged, this whole in, uh, impeachment inquiry is going to go away. I don't see that happening. David Gelman, thank you so much for your time. Is the Democrat Party shifting when it comes to supporting Israel? A second member leaves the Progressive Caucus after disagreements over the Israel-Hamas war. NTD's Melina Weiskup has the story. New York Congressman Richie Torres, a vocal supporter of Israel, is splitting with the Progressive Caucus amid disagreements with the group over the Israel-Hamas war. Although his exit is being kept low-key, the caucus has deleted his photo from the membership page on their website. NTD has reached out to Torres's office for further comment on the issue. And he's not the first member to leave the Progressive Caucus since the war broke out. The other representative, Louis Frankel, left in November. Both of them voted with around 20 other Democrats to censure another member of the Progressive Caucus, Rashida Tlaib, over her rhetoric on Israel, using the phrase, from the river to the sea, which is understood as a call for the end of Israel as a Jewish state. Torres took to social media to condemn this, writing that the Progressive members' comments crossed, quote, a line of hate speech that no public official should ever cross. Congress has a right to take a principled stand against hate speech, calling for the destruction of the world's own only Jewish nation state. The Congressional Progressive Caucus has repeatedly pressured President Biden to withhold support from Israel and instead call for a ceasefire in the region. This has led the president to walk a thin line with how he responds to the conflict in Gaza. Although he publicly supports Israel, he has also recently criticized Israel's military response in Gaza, calling it over the top. And just this week, President Biden pushed an alternative UN resolution calling for a temporary ceasefire in Gaza. Reporting from Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News.
Federal prosecutors in New York have indicted a Japanese gang leader for allegedly conspiring to smuggle nuclear materials from Myanmar to other countries. According to the Justice Department, Takeshi Ibasawa, a Yakuza leader, conspired to transport these materials, believing they would be used by Iran to develop nuclear weapons. It is reported that Ibasawa flexed the samples to a U.S. undercover agent in Thailand. Officials then seized the sample and handed it over to the law enforcement. The DOJ said the materials contain uranium and weapons-grade plutonium. The suspect had already been charged in 2022 for drug trafficking and firearm offenses. Both him and his co-defendant were arrested and detained in New York. Both of them pleaded not guilty. Former WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange faces his last chance to stop his extradition from Britain to the U.S. Here's Assange's wife outside London's Royal Courts of Justice today. This part be brought to an end and that um, the courts uh, allow Julian to be free. Uh, he's a political prisoner and he needs his freedom. He has been in prison for five years. American prosecutors want him tried on 18 counts related to the release of classified U.S. military records and diplomatic cables. Britain approved his extradition to the U.S. in 2022. His legal team is trying to overturn that approval at a two-day hearing. Their argument is that previous judges failed to address their case, that the extradition was politically motivated. Coming up, how does foreign funding influence American universities? A Heritage Foundation research fellow says the money undermines American interests. And in college football news, the new playoff system is set, but how will they divide the new $7 billion coming in from ESPN? Dave Martin joins us to discuss. That's coming up. Two Republican candidates left in a high-stakes race you don't want to miss. Watch it with us in the action and at the Data Hub on The Nation Decides 2024, the South Carolina primary with Steve Lance and Tiffany Meyer. Live on February 24th at 6 p.m. Eastern on NTD News. Welcome back. I'm Tiffany Meyer. The rise in the number of protests on college campuses due to the Israel-Hamas war is raising concerns about foreign funding and influence. For decades, America's adversaries have used a variety of financial means to gain political access to U.S. institutions of higher learning. NTD's Andrew Thomas speaks with an education expert at the Heritage Foundation to discuss how the issue threatens American interests. U.S. adversaries buy influence at American universities through donations, research grants, foreign student tuition, and other means. A recent report by the Heritage Foundation describes how this foreign funding impacts higher education at home. Are there any parts of American university or campus culture that foreign adversaries are trying to exploit? So they're influencing uh, uh, the research that is being conducted, uh, the, the coursework, um, and the kind of more informal uh, student intellectual life. Um, they are directly and indirectly influencing all of those activities. Many of today's college students will become the next generation of leaders and innovators, and U.S. adversaries are looking for any opportunity to influence them and the institutions they attend against American interests. 
So disrupting our institutions, degrading our institutions, that alone serves the interests of our adversaries. And so anything they can do to sow chaos, um, so protests and 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 acrimony are all in service of our of our adversaries. So which foreign donors pose the greatest threat to American interests and what kind of influence are they seeking? We don't know. And part of what we're trying to do in our report is call for you know, greater transparency and improved uh, regulation so that we would have a better picture of, of who is attempting to influence our universities and to what extent and in what manner. Green says that Iran, Qatar, China, and Russia are the main players we do know about. China, in particular, provides research grants in an effort to undermine American interests. They have been caught numerous times stealing proprietary information, confidential national security information developed in our universities to bring back to China to strengthen um, uh, Chinese military and, and corporate interests. How does foreign funding or foreign investment affect or influence what is taught at American universities? So uh, it influences what is taught um, because in general, Anything that U.S. universities do that might be seen as contrary to the interests of large donors or sources of funding, the universities themselves will censor. Green cites the emergence of certain Chinese educational centers at American universities as an example. Another way is, is China has created a series of what, what are called Confucius Institutes. Um, so these are research and instructional centers uh, affiliated with universities that um, offer coursework that would be favorable towards Chinese interests. Green argues that ideas like critical race theory and diversity, equity, and inclusion are foreign imports rooted in Marxism and Maoism. These are ideas that are not naturally American. Um, that is, in the United States, we have a tradition, uh, at least an aspiration, of treating every person as an individual and treating all individuals equally uh, under the law. Green and the Heritage Report's co-authors argue that lawmakers need to pass legislation to ensure that American universities are transparent about the foreign funding they receive in order to protect the national interest. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And now for your sports news, we're joined by NTD's Dave Martin. Dave, plenty to discuss today. Let's start in the NFL, where Raiders coach Antonio Pierce said his team will be channeling the bad boy Detroit Pistons in implementing their Patrick Mahomes rules. What was he referring to here? <laughs> He's referring to one of the more aggressive, some might even say brutal, basketball teams ever. This is back in the late 80s, early 90s, when Detroit was on top and Michael Jordan and Chicago were trying to overtake them. Anyway, the Detroit Pistons, who are known to be a very physical team, came up with their Jordan rules after he burned them several times. Basically it was this, every time he touched the ball they threw multiple players at him. Anytime he took the ball to the rim he got hit or he hit the floor. And to an extent it worked. I mean they beat the Bulls three straight times in the playoffs before Chicago finally got past them and really never looked back. Now that now the Chiefs are certainly the team to beat in the NFL and Pierce's Raiders were the last team to actually beat them and they did it by really getting to Mahomes. They sacked him four times. This is back on Christmas. Uh, they also hit, hit him like 10 times, uh, so they, he's already backed it up, basically. And how much of a threat are Pierce's Raiders thought to be? Are they comparable to the Bad Boy Pistons in that way? I mean, not really, at least not yet, you know. 
if anything, it's really the inverse because the Chiefs, not only, they, not only they won three of the last five Super Bowls, they've won their division eight straight years, and that includes the Raiders in that division. And it's hard to say they're an up-and-coming team, though, because they really don't have that franchise quarterback that you need to be elite in the NFL. And if you don't have an elite quarterback, you need to at least have an elite defense and running game, and theirs really hasn't shown to be at that level. I certainly like the attitude that Pierce brings to that team, though. They just need to upgrade the talent on that roster. Shifting gears to college football, we've previously discussed the new 12-team playoff format that you're in favor of. Now, some say it could potentially be unfair to Notre Dame. What's the reason for that? Yeah, it's because they're not in a conference. And how this is going to work out, it's going to be the top five highest-ranked conference champions will not only get automatic bids, the top four of them get a first-round buy. So as long as you're not in a conference, of course, you can't be a conference champ, which means you can't get a first-round buy. Now, I think this could be solved very easily, of course. For one, Notre Dame, if they ever wanted to, could join any conference out there. They're one of the most winningest programs in college football history. They've been a powerhouse for years, and football drives TV revenue. They all know that. They They've chosen not to because they have their own TV football contract with NBC and then for every other sport they compete in the ACC right now. Plus I think the playoff committee might actually rethink this role as well. I mean in general in recent years the runner-up in the SEC or Big Ten has really been better than the champion of the ACC or Big 12. Uh, so I can see them revisiting this somewhere down the line. Speaking of TV, there have been reports that ESPN has agreed to a six-year, $7 billion deal to televise the playoffs, but the deal isn't complete. What's been the holdup here? Well, the holdup is how that $7 billion is going to be divided among the conferences. You know, under the previous deal, about 78% of the revenue went to the Power Five conferences, and most of the rest of that went to the Group of Five conferences. Now you only really have four power conferences, plus what's left of the Pac-12, which is like two teams, so it's really not a power conference. That seems to be one issue. The other issue is a growing gap between the Big Ten and the SEC versus the ACC and the Big 12. You know, this latest round of realignment really resulted in the rich getting richer. The Big Ten got UCLA, USC, Washington, and Oregon. The SEC got Texas and Oklahoma. Meanwhile, the ACC got some leftovers as well as a whole bunch of infighting among their members trying to get out of their own deal. So it'll be interesting to see, see how they split this now going forward. Well, Dave, as always, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Tiff. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Good night.